0: Hi, this is Regeline Sabat, also known as Gigi. You're listening to the Walk With Me podcast. My guest today is Eric Hudson. Welcome to the show, Eric.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here.
0: You're welcome. And I'm honored to have you here today. Now, why don't you start off by telling us about you and where you're from?
1: Sure. Uh, so uh, I'm from originally from Chicago. I grew up in the city of Chicago, South Side, and as well as the surrounding sub- suburbs of Chicago area. And so that, that's, that's my home, my home turf. And right after high school, I, I left the bird's nest, so to speak, and uh, went down south to the state of Alabama, where I attended Alabama A&M University, played football there. I grew up playing football. So I, I took that to college with me, played college football. And uh, once I graduated, studied business management and uh, went to an army after that. But that's pretty much the, the gist of where I'm from.
0: I love it. Now, tell us more about your experience growing up in lower-class socioeconomic environments.
1: My experience? uh, Well, just in a nutshell, you know, the the typical, you know, uh, in in my lineage, I I think, well, I don't think I know part of the, the, the pattern was pretty much, you know, people bearing children at a young age, not quite, financially prepared for that responsibility, so to speak, and that just kind of plays a domino effect from generation to generation. And so growing up, you know, there were, I, I, now don't get me wrong, I've always had the, the full support of my parents, you know, I was fortunate enough to have a two-parent home, uh, and they've always instilled in me that I can go after whatever I put my mind to. But we definitely have financial struggles, you know, where, you know, I'll have to get hand-me-down clothes from cousins and things like that from time to time it was uh you know we didn't always have a full course full course meals every day and things like that but i had a lot of fun growing up i had a lot of cousins and stuff around me and you know so i don't take anything for granted but but yeah it, it was a little tough from a financial standpoint and one thing that i that that resonated with me at early on at a early age was that and I decided pretty young that I wanted to change that tra- trajectory of the kind of the f- continuous cycle of that financial struggle, financial strife, so to speak. And each generation pretty much having to start from square one, so on and so forth. And I, I decided that the buck's going to stop with me. And I decided to uh, start dedicating uh, my, my interests and my studies to learning how to invest. And I've dibbled and dabbed in a lot of ventures and small endeavors. And I've, uh, I've spent a lot of money. I've done a lot of foolish things. I've played around with get-rich-quick schemes. So I've fallen on my face quite a few times through trial and error. But uh, I've been finding my way. And uh, I have pretty much was able to find my purpose and of course I'm still learning, you know, we're all still learning. I'm a, a life, a lifelong student, but yeah, it was a little, it was a little rough at times growing up, uh, in that type of socioeconomic environment, but, um, I wouldn't change it for anything.
0: I love it. Now, can you explain to the audience how important it is to not allow your circumstance or your surroundings to affect your mindset or who you are as a person or let it define you as well?
1: Oh, it's absolutely critical. I mean, see, here's the thing. I mean, we we have no control over who our parents are. We, we can't decide. We can't choose our grandparents. We can't choose our siblings. You know, we can't choose the neighborhood, the environment that we're born into. We can't control the course of what we're dealt with in life at birth. However, what we are in complete control of is how we respond. To the environment, circumstances, wherever that may be, so we can't control the, the environment that we come into, but we can control our fate. I'm a firm believer in that, uh, so it's absolutely critical to not be, uh, don't be a victim. Basically, you know, don't be a victim of your circumstances. Don't, don't blame uh, your environment for not being able to get here or get to that point. Don't be a victim, don't don't blame the government and all these other excuses that that may come about. Uh, and and just really, you know, I could have easily, I've had friends growing up, you know, playing sports and so on and so forth, and they got they got pulled into their lifestyle, you know, the the drug dealing and joining gangs and walking around with the pants sagging and all that good stuff. And I, I could have easily Got pulled right into that because I was living it every day. But uh, I had good parents at home. I had two parents, and you know, I, I it was. I knew early that I didn't want that lifestyle. I wanted different, better. And I never used my environment or circumstances as an excuse to not be able to study hard. You know, practice hard on a football field and to take care of business. So it's absolutely critical to not allow your circumstances, if you're, you know, you come up in, you know, less fortunate or lef- less privileged or whatever you want to call it, socioeconomic circumstances, you, you can't allow that to, to define you and determine the determine the end of your story. Because I, I, like, I like to look at it as a story. I'm an avid book reader. So I look at life as a series of chapters, you know, so, so tra- chapter one is the very beginning. You have no control over chapter one. That the cards that you dealt, that it is what it is. But the storybook ending, that's, that's all on you. So it's absolutely critical to not allow your circumstances to define or determine the outcome or your path forward.
0: I love that, very powerful. Now, can you explain to the audience how important it is to maintain a positive mindset?
1: That's also absolutely critical to maintain a positive mindset. Uh, I think, you know, The universe works in a way where if you always down and out, very pessimistic, you're doubting everything, you know, you feel like you can't pursue this because of that, or you're not getting promoted at your job because your boss is out to get you. And just this negative outlook, you put put out negative energy and it's kind of like, you know, uh, a cause and effect, what you put out there is what you get back in return. And so having a negative mentality and being pessimistic, it just, you know, you're you, you fighting against yourself with that type of mentality. So it's very, it's also very critical to maintaining a positive mindset and, and carry that forth. Like, for example, you know, if we look at health and fitness, for example, if you're one that's like, you know, oh, I'm getting older. I'm going to get old and sick anyway, regardless. So it doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't matter if I work out, you know, or eat. So I'm just eat whatever, because we all get old and sick and die anyway. So you had that mindset, you're not going to feel compelled to eat right. You're not going to feel compelled to exercise on a regular basis. But on the flip side, if you're of the mindset of, Yeah, I'm getting older, such is life, but I still have a lot to look forward to. I still have a lot to live for. I still have a lot to live. You know, my story, I still have a lot to write, you know, many more uh, substantial chapters in my storybook that have yet to be written. There's still a lot of work to be done, and I want to be at my best. And so with that kind of mindset, you're looking at, okay, I'm going to be more mindful of what I eat, I'm going to take care of my body, so on and so forth. So uh, having a positive mindset is huge.
0: I love it. Now you own your own company. Can you tell us more about your company, Hudson Wealth Management?
1: Sure, it's a pretty simple model. Uh, It's nothing too complicated, but basically Hudson Wealth Management is a registered investment advisory firm. And uh, long story short, what that is is uh, I, my particular firm, uh, we specialize in managing client investments in the financial markets. So, you know, just, you know, stocks, bonds, exchange traded funds, index funds, so on and so forth. Uh, we, we manage clients' assets in the financial markets with a long-term systematic quantitative investment approach. Uh, I know that was kind of like a mouthful, but uh, basically, in other words, we have a very uh, strict rule, r- rules-based investment approach that's predicated on removing human, human emotion from the investment process to where you know the, the the ups and downs and ebbs and flows of the market doesn't dictate our investment decisions. So we have a very disciplined investment process in place, and it's predicated on my on my life story. Really, you know, coming from uh, a lower, somewhat lower social economic challenging environment, and making my mind up early on that I'm going to change that trajectory within my family lineage. I'm not going to be a victim and I've, I've embarked on that journey personally and then at some point in that journey the light bulb went off you know it's you know re- instead of just doing this as a personal endeavor and I, i'm so into this I'm, I'm so obsessed with changing this trajectory when i al- align this in a business model to serve others and doing what i'm already doing that i'm already obsessed with and so it just the stars aligned and that's how you know I formed the company Hudson Wealth Management.
0: I love how you're obsessed with innovation and change and helping others. It's truly amazing. Now, can you tell us more about who your ideal client is?
1: My ideal client is I'll say my my ideal client is one who is pretty even killed, uh, one who is not allowing headlines Dictate their investment decisions, or overly emotional. They're they're somewhere in a point where that they're, they're pretty well established in their career, or they're on that trajectory of being established from a career standpoint. Um, so, but in the nutshell, my ideal client is someone who is already on on track. They have a certain amount of wealth. They they know how to. They've done right financially from a saving standpoint from a budgeting standpoint, living below their means, not overextending themselves. And so now they have enough excess to start actually growing that wealth and making their money work for them. So that's my ideal client. You know, sometimes, uh, you know, I I get inquiries from, you know, someone who is just starting out, you know, may not, you know, have any savings or, you know, not that far along in their career, in uh, a really deep hole with debt, so on and so forth. And I have a lot of those general conversations quite frequently, but as a business, that's not what we specialize in. We specialize in, okay, this person, this individual, you know uh, Regeline, she's 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 established, she's been prudent with her with her money, with her finances. She's done the right thing. She she's not trying to keep up with the Joneses and now she's positioned to where she has some some assets set aside to where she can start putting that to work to start growing her wealth not only for herself but for her next generation coming after her so my ideal client pretty much aligns with that that particular uh, prototype so to speak so
0: amazing now you mentioned that you also served in the US army can you tell us more about your experience as a US army combat logistics officer
1: yes sure so th- there I was at on a campus of Alabama A&M University and I was my major was in business management and you know I, as I mentioned earlier I was playing football and as any as any little young boy growing up playing sports you know you you, you have dreams of going pro one day and so I'm at Alabama A&M, which is a Division 1 AA college uh, and you know I, I had a pretty good run you know I wouldn't I wouldn't change anything but uh, I got played with injuries and things like that. And then just, it, it didn't work out, you know, long story short. Uh, so my, my backup plan to that was to, uh, if this doesn't work out, I'll go serve in, in the army in the military, serve my country for one, first and foremost. And then number two, that'll help me get established career-wise, give me some, some global experience, some leadership experience uh, going in as an officer and I was, you know, from day one, I was put into a leadership role, and so uh, I, I did, I did my time there, and it was, you know, it, it was a great experience. Uh, I, my very first duty station was in South Korea, and before then, I had never been outside of the country, and so mm-hmm. there I was in South Korea, uh, a brand new lieutenant, fresh out college, and I had about fifty soldiers that I was responsible for, uh, and then from that point, you know, I. I have served in numerous locations throughout the United States. Did a deployment to Afghanistan, and uh, did my my contract. And then, you know, I I I moved on to into, into the business world from that point.
0: Amazing! And now you also are a volunteer in your community. Can you tell us more about your experience volunteering for veteran-based programs?
1: Yes, definitely. So, uh, w- what I like to do is you know, just volunteer my time going to, to veteran workshops and these veteran workshops, they're, they're usually like a, a culmination of different guest speakers that specialize in various different areas. And so you, you may have someone uh, that come there that, that's talking about uh, physical therapy. You may have someone there that's speaking about entrepreneurship. You may have, you may have someone that's speaking about how to form a business, how to form an LLC, and so on and so forth. And so my particular function is talking about investing, you know, how to invest, how to get started, if you want to do it yourself, you know, what's a good metric, what's a good starting point. And it, it really, you know, I come there, I always come there with a presentation prepared, but I'm more of a a two-way conversation. You know, I like to have more of a, you know, a conversational type of presence whenever I'm I'm doing a, a presentation, so to speak. So the, uh, it, it really, you know, most of the time just turns out into really engaging two-way conversation between myself and the other veterans in the, in the tennis and I, and I love doing it, you know, so it's always good.
0: Amazing. Now you also mentioned that you played college football. Can you tell us more about your experience playing football for Alabama A&M University?
1: Sure. So it, it's kind of a, a funny story how I ended up at Alabama A&M. Uh, so kind of rewind the tape a little bit to high school going into the beginning of my senior year. So before I went to my senior year, I was a Division A recruit. I was, you know, all-conference. I was in a, a big Division Six high school, and I was one of the, the top four players at my high school at the time. Heavily recruited, so on and so forth. But long story short – uh, I, I I ruptured my my hamstring, and that really set me back quite a bit. And so my those scholarship offers from the big schools pretty much dried up and just disappeared. So it was smaller Division two, II, Division three schools, and I guess I was my my uh I didn't have enough humility to accept that. And so uh, I actually committed to a Division two school on a football scholarship, and then. Two days before, my family and I were about to get on the road and you know drive me out there to drop me off at school. I said, you know what, I don't want to go here. A cousin of mine was uh, was going to Alabama M University, and she was on a road trip with us as well. So we we're going we we're going to drop me off first in Iowa, and then going down south to drop her off. And I'm like, hey, she's going to Alabama M. It's a bigger school. It's a bigger division. I can have more exposure. I think my talents will be better suited at a bigger school. And so I I just, you know, pulled the plug and made a last minute decision and said, hey, you know what? I'm going to go to Alabama. A&M. And I didn't even apply until we arrived on campus. But uh, fortunately, the same day I applied, I got accepted and everything was just rushed. You know, I had to you know, rush to registrar's office and financial aid and all this other stuff. And, you know, and hurry up and, and get, get myself situated and get a dorm and all that stuff. Uh, to, and, and somehow, some way, I, I was able to start on time for the first day of classes. And I ended up trying out for the football team at Alabama, Alabama and, and and joining the, the team as a walk-on and uh, work my way up from that point. Uh, but, but it was a good experience, you know. Uh, once I started to really get my footing and getting the type of a playing time that I worked so hard for, pretty much having to start from scratch because coming from my junior year in high school, from all these big big Division One schools that were recruiting me to all of a sudden, having to pretty much start from the bottom, so to speak, and work my way up the wrong, uh, which had pretty much been a story of my life and, and how I, I preferred anyway to, to work my way up. But once I started to really get some traction, Boom, I got, hit. I got hit with another injury, I tore some ligaments in my left foot. And that was pretty much it. That's one of those injuries where there's no amount of rehab or there's no surgery or anything that can get you, you know, snapped back into place like that. You just have to sit out for X number of months for it to heal on its own. And so that was that. And once I rested and recovered, and I was fully healed. I, I went with my, my backup plan and I went to join the the Army ROTC program that was on campus and that started my journey to Uni- the United States Army. So
0: Sounds like you had quite the journey and you're truly a warrior. <laughs> now can you tell us more about some of the projects you're currently working on?
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, so of course I my, my business is is ongoing, you know, custom wealth management. That's pretty much the the centerpiece of my my universe. So to speak, and so just day to day servicing clients, uh, deploying the investment strategy, managing investment portfolios, deploying assets, you know, in a strategic quantitative fashion that we have in place, onboarding new client new clients, uh, dealing with talking with prospects and so on and so forth, just regular business things that comes with running a an investment advisory firm. Uh, In addition to that, uh, another endeavor that's consuming quite a bit of my time these days is that I'm currently back in school. Um, I'm working on a, a PhD in finance. Um, so that, you know, of course that involves a lot of, uh, it involves a lot of a lot of research, a lot of reading, a lot of studying, a lot of case studies and, and so on and so forth. So between those two endeavors, that's that's pretty much my life right now. Uh, so that, uh, I'm in my second semester with the Ph.D. program right now, and it's, it's, I, I started on June 1st of this summer, um, and it, it's definitely gotten a little bit more intense since the first semester, um, but I'm enjoying every minute of it.
0: So, Congratulations on working towards obtaining your Ph.D.
1: Thank you. I appreciate it.
0: You're welcome. Now, Eric, can you tell us more about the challenges you've experienced in your life?
1: Challenges. Uh, well, I've touched on a little bit about my my upbringing, right? About uh, about some of the financial challenges growing up, and you know, I've experienced some challenges, you know, through my adult life, as we all have. Um, like, you know, I, I can remember one, one, one case where I was still in uh, an undergrad down there in Alabama, and I actually. Walked home to my apartment one day with a eviction notice on, on my door, on an apartment at my door. So that was a time where you know, even in school, things things that got really hard. Um, I wasn't in, I didn't have the luxury, so to speak, to be able to reach back home when I was in a pinch financially. So uh, that's another another place where, kind of, you know, maybe coincidentally or as accidentally, that entrepreneurship buck. Became born because I had to figure out a way to to earn money. So, on campus, I had several small endeavors going on where you know back then there were still we still had like actual DVDs and and CDs and things like that. So, I, w- I became that guy on campus, the go to guy for you know getting DVDs and CDs and and I, I and I had another business venture going on when I was in school where. Uh, I had found uh, a connect overseas in China where I had started purchasing different clothing and, and things like that at wholesale prices. And I would have it delivered to my my dorm room and I would type up little brochures, you know, with prices and everything on it, like a, pretty much like a catalog And I would hand them out on campus. And so I had that going on as well. So I was putting some pretty tough, I went to some pretty tough situations through my initial years. In my adult life, I just had to fight through it. You know, it taught me to fight through it because uh, I had to figure it out. You know, I couldn't run, I couldn't run back home to, to mama and daddy to, to bail me out. You know, it was all on me. So I had to learn pretty quick. And, uh, and again, I, I bumped my head several times financially. But in hindsight, those early lessons and those early financial hardships, I think uh, kind of sped up my development in terms of, getting to where I am now from a financial standpoint. So uh, definitely some some trials and tribulations, but we all go through it, you know, and as long as we make it through it, we we come out on the other side, bigger, stronger, better, smarter, and ready to take on the next challenge.
0: That's right. As my friend Chip Baker says, go get it. You definitely know how to go get it. <laughs> <When you laughs> That's a good it. one. Yes, sir. Now, was there a time in your life journey where you experienced an aha moment? An aha moment,
1: yes. So initially, before I started Hudson Wealth Management, my registered investment advisory firm, initially I had set out on, my thought process was to go work for an existing firm, an established firm, wealth management firm, get a few years on my belt working for someone else, and then strike out on my own, you know. I also received this this advice from a financial advisor who had been in in the game for like 20, 25 years, so, and uh, who had given me the advice as well, hey, I think you should, you know, you, you really be setting yourself up for failure, you just jump out, out there by yourself with no experience in wealth management, and so, I, I went on a series of job interviews for various different wealth management firms you know I won't call out any names but pretty much as I was going through these series of interviews there was a common theme that stood out from each interview from each company to the next and some of those common themes were they want you to have 200 to, to 250 list of of contacts of names, addresses, phone numbers, and so on and so forth. Basically like a prospect list. And they there's specific like quarterly quotas, there's annual quotas that you have to meet from a, a sales standpoint in terms of gathering assets under management. And the third common theme I noticed is that each of those companies had pro- proprietary financial products. That they wanted me as the potential employee to push to the marketplace. And so it, it just didn't sit right with me. That's not, after going through those series of interviews, I realized for one, this is not how I want to do business. I don't want to be, and I'm not knocking it, you know, to each their own, um, but I'm not the natural salesperson. I don't have that type of gift to gap. And it that just doesn't fit my personality. I didn't want to be held to a commission-based compensation model, to where I may be placed into a vicarious situation where you know, and it happens all the time in the financial advising industry, where you know, when you have financial advisors, wealth managers that are under this this quota-based, commission-based compensation model, whereas you know, I, I've known I've known people who worked in, in- industry where it's it's around Christmas time. And this guy he has to choose between being at home with his family on Christmas or take this three-hour road trip downstate to meet with a prospect, so he can try to meet his his yearly quota. Otherwise, his job is on the line. And of course, you know he had to he had to choose between that and family. And he was on the road on Christmas Day, chasing out you know chasing out chasing money pretty much, trying to get this client to sign up. And uh. So, so that type of model didn't sit well, did not sit well with me as I was going through the interview process. And, you know, I didn't want to be restricted to specific financial products that I have to push for, for that specific firm. The main reason is, depending on who you are, depending on the client, you know, it. and if I get this client to, to, to join, you know, company XYZ as a client, the limited amount of financial products that company XYZ may not be a good fit for this particular client. And so I don't want to be restricted to just a set base of financial products that I'm pushing. So that along with the culmination of, you know, I sat there and did some deep reflecting on, you know what, I've been managing my own investments, my own capital for a little over a decade at that point. So I, I know how to invest. I know how that process works. And I know the type of business model that I don't want as a wealth manager. So it, with the combination of those things, that was my aha moment. And I'm like, you know what? I don't need to go work you know, several years under a business model that I don't believe in. I know how the, the process works. I just need to do some more homework on how to actually start the business, how to get You know, I didn't know where to start to even begin to formally register investment advisory firm. But, of course, there's a a lot of paperwork, a lot of legal documents involved, background checks and uh, investment law exams that I have to sit through, study for and test out of and so on and so forth. And I had no idea where to go, where to start. But I just said, hey, I'm going to start where I am and then figure out what the next step is. You know, and, and that's another thing. Originally, you know, uh, what's helped me get to where I am now, you know, I think that kind of uh, intimidates people sometimes, or or you know, scares them away from going after or whatever it may be. Don't look at the entire picture, you know, because if I had sat there and looked at, you know, start a registered investment advisory firm, I have to figure out the technology that I'm gonna use to manage assets website name or business name how to formulate an LLC how to get registered go to all of this stuff and it can easily become overwhelming. And I just said I just threw all of that out the window and I said what is step one and I identified step one and I executed step one. And once step one was executed I went on to step two step three and so on and so forth. You know the age old saying you know if you want to build a house don't get hung up on the visualization of the entire house itself. Just focus on carefully laying one brick at a time as precisely as you possibly can. And then move on to the next brick and the next brick and so on and so forth. And before you know it, you have your house. And so that was my approach. That was my aha moment. And you know, I I wouldn't change it for the world. You know, I'm very happy with I made that decision. You know, I'm I'm I built the business model that I believe in, you know, serving clients and their best interest. And uh, yeah, it's been great. But that was my aha moment. That that was a long-winded version of my aha moment. So.
0: I love it. Build your house brick by brick. Very powerful. Now, Eric, we have a question in here that came in from the audience from Justin. He asks, how would you go about teaching our brothers and sisters that live in the struggle, how to get on your level business or career wise so that they do not have to resort to the risk of hustling?
1: Hmm. Very good question, Justin. How would you go about teaching our brothers and sisters? I wanna break this down. How <laughs> would you go about teaching our brothers and sisters that live in the struggle, how to get on my level of business career-wise so that they don't have to resort to the risk of hustling? Okay. Um, for one, uh, I would say, start by assuming responsibility start by taking extreme ownership of where you are today whatever the excuses are throw them out the window you know once you become an adult and you're out here in this world and especially if you're you have the great fortune of being born in the United States of America but once you become an adult you know it, you can't blame your parents no more you can't blame your siblings don't blame the government. You have control over your destiny. So first and foremost, I would say, Justin, is to assume responsibility for where you are today. Assume responsibility. And then um, to where you don't have to resort to the risk of, of hustling. I'm gonna assume, Justin, that, that you're referring to like maybe side hustling or something like that. Um, I would start by, you know, once you, Number one, assume responsibility for where you are today. Uh, Start getting yourself on track to getting yourself in a good place financially. Uh, And I know entrepreneurship is the sexy thing today, um, but I think I'm a little bit more old school and thinking that before you can really truly appreciate and run your own business, um, get, get some time under your belt. Working under an existing business, uh, learning how to take care of someone else's property, learning how to take care of someone else's employees and someone else's assets, and and, and so on and so forth. What does it mean to, you know, um, have to show up on time and have to uh, be responsible for employees if you're in, in type of leadership role? You know, get yourself solidified in, in an existing business. You know, start by start where you are and get a job and do the best that you can at that job, regardless of what that job may be. Uh, it Any job, all jobs is a good job, you know, and that's, to be, to be quite honest with you, with this whole um, pandemic environment that we've all been experiencing unprecedented in, in 2020. And, you know, I hear, you know, we all hear the, the, the verbiage of essential employees, essential jobs But I've always struggled with that because I'm like, whatever your job is, if that's your means of honestly and ethically putting food on the table and paying your bills, who's to tell you what job is essential versus what not essential? But that's a whole totally different topic. Uh, But I would say, you know, whatever that job is, take pride in it. You know, if if you're busting tables, if you're. You know, working to register at McDonald's. If you're working at a law firm, whatever it is, take pride in it and do your very best at that job, and then continue to work from there. Build from there, one step at a time. Live below your means. Don't try to keep up with the Joneses. Social media, social media in and of itself, is uh, unfortunately is having a very negative impact on most notably our younger generation. You know, everyone, uh, I, I kid you not, you know, when I go out to, you know, if I go out to a, a restaurant or I go out to a, a lounge or whatever, and if I just pause for a moment, and I look around, I see so much of this going on. You know, the, the selfies, the picture taking, and it's like, you know, what. Uh, uh, people are intentionally going out to, to put together this facade of this, you know, this high-class superficial lifestyle image on social media, rather than just enjoying the actual experience and and instead of focusing on impressing uh, the social media platform and being hung up on how many likes you get and so on and so forth, you know, just, just, just focus on where you are today and live below your means be financially prudent stop trying to impress people who at the end of the day don't really care anyway you know they're they're focused on on their self so um, but those would be in my words in terms of how to go about teaching our brothers and sisters to live in a struggle you know first and foremost embrace the struggle you know it that goes back to the storybook example i'm talking about I, how i look at life as as a series of chapters really it the greater the struggle the greater the story is going to be once you come out on the other side of that so embrace the struggle you know if you're going through hardships right now it, it stop posting this fictitious lifestyle on social media instead embrace it and you may be surprised if you know you post a video clip on social media and say hey you know I'm down on my luck right now you know I've my car note is passed through, whatever the case may be this is what I'm experienced right now. this is why I'm working through uh, maintaining a positive outlook. these are next steps I'm working on and I think that what may actually resonate with a lot more people out there than you know the the, the typical person may think you know so I know it's it's another age-old saying you know keep it real, keep it real you know, embrace your struggle and fight through it. And it makes the harder the struggle, the better it makes for a better story. So that's how I look at
0: it. That's right. And thank you for keeping it real. Now, can you tell us more about what gives you joy in your life, Eric?
1: What gives me joy in my life? Uh, I would say spending time with family, you know, uh, spending time with my parents and my sisters, my grandparents, you know, never forgetting that's the other thing originally you know never forget where you come from you know with regardless of how far we get how far I get in this lifetime you know I I, I try to make it a point not to ever forget where I come from where I came from and the humble beginnings and and so on and so forth uh, so that that really helps me stay happy and fulfilled and then just really just being disciplined, you know, exercising every day, no matter what, seven days a week, through 65, whether or not I feel like it. Um, pulling all nighter to finish a research paper before the deadline, 12 midnight, regardless of whether or not I had a full night's nice rest the night before, or whether or not you know I got you know something unexpected popped up earlier that day that completely threw me off track. You know, just just staying disciplined and just getting it done, regardless. You know that that those two things you know, family and just staying disciplined to whatever my current objectives are and just getting it done no matter what. No excuses. Never be a victim and just, just get it done. Execute.
0: That's right. Discipline truly matters and executing matters. Mm-hmm. Now, can you tell us what your best advice to the audience is for walking with purpose and living a life of happiness is?
1: walking with purpose and living a life of happiness. so that's those are two interesting dynamics. and from my personal experience, yeah I'm just speaking for me, you know I would say, prioritize purpose, prioritize purpose above happiness because purpose equals meaning. you know I think I truly believe that each and every last one of us were placed on this earth for a specific purpose. And I feel very fortunate to have found my purpose in life, which is to change the financial tra- trajectory of my lineage from generational welfare to generational wealth. And I've also been able, been able to ch- translate that into a business model. That's my life's purpose. Uh, I And I think happiness is a byproduct of purpose so rather than folk trying to focus on what makes you happy you know you may not be happy in your in your current job today you mean you may not be happy in your current situation you may not be happy with your boss today but if what you're doing has purpose and meaning that's what's most important and then eventually the happiness will catch up to that so those are my two cents when it comes to to purpose and and, and happiness. I think purpose should be pr- prioritized, then happiness would be like the cherry on top, the icing on, on the icing on a cake. That's a byproduct of of having purpose. But uh, I think that we all have uh, we all have a mission. We all have a mission. You know, we all have a story. We all have chapter one, and we all have the last chapter of our book. You know, and and that's the purpose. That's our meaning in life. And so that's my two cents on that.
0: Very powerful. And now can you explain to the audience how important it is to have positive self-talk rather than negative self-talk?
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, positive self, self-talk self goes back to what I was saying about negative energy versus positive energy that you put out there into the universe. You know, words are very powerful and, and the words that you speak really Dictates it has a lot to do with your your actions that that come come behind that. So, for example, for me, uh, I I hardly ever use the word try unless it's absolutely necessary. You know, I don't believe in the word try. For example, my approach is either I'm going to do it or I'm not going to do it. You know, I'm not going to try to get in better shape. I'm either going to do it or I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to try to pursue a PhD in finance. I'm either going to do it or I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to try to launch and start a registered investment advisory firm. I'm not going to try to do it. What does that mean? I'm either going to do it or I'm not going to do it. Point blank, period. I may fail. You know, when I set out on a journey to establish a registered investment advisory firm, I had, you know, my my registration kicked back several times. You know, I had missing information. So on and so forth. I didn't uh, register for my exam properly the first time. I had to reschedule. There was, you know, tons of obstacles along the way. Absolutely, I didn't get it right the first time. I it, it took several attempts in most cases, but you know, I I just I just got it done. You know, there, there was never a such thing as trying to start my business. Once I made my mind up to do it, it was just it was going to get done. Uh, so, back to your to your question of. The, the power of speaking positive words versus negative words, that's another thing of mine, you know, the word try, uh, the word can't, that's another one of my, my pet peeves. I, I just, I don't allow myself to regularly use those words because I know the impact that it will have on my, my actual drive. Uh, so, uh, it's, 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 it has, it has a really big impact, the words that you use in terms of, positive or negative.
0: Absolutely amazing. Eric, thank you so much for being a guest on a Walk With Me podcast. Now, where can the audience find you?
1: Sure. Uh, so I, I do my my website for, for the firm, for my registered investment advisory firm is is hudson-wealth-management.com. And you can also find me hanging out on LinkedIn. Just type in Eric, middle initial K, last name Hudson. and I should have right up same thing on Facebook. You can find me there. Um, and yeah, I'm usually pretty easy to get in touch with through those channels. I'm very responsive. And so definitely feel free to reach out.
0: I love it. Ladies and gentlemen, make sure to check out Eric at his website and on his LinkedIn, erick.hudson And Eric, again, thank you so much for being a guest on the Walk With Me podcast.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: You're welcome. Have a blessed day. You too. Thank you.